Hi guys, this is Danny. And this is Molly. And it's Black Chicklet. And we're back to school. We're back to school, y'all. Back to the grind, back to reading on time. Which, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Um, I mean, sometimes I feel bad that we don't go on like the exact schedule like we're supposed to, but we also don't take breaks. And also we got jobs. So yeah, I do feel bad, but things happen. I apologize. We apologize. So we're sorry. We're not that late this time. It's not like we disappeared from October to December and then had to read. That's true. (laughs) And then had to read a Halloween book (laughs) a week before Christmas. That's a fair point. So, I mean, I don't know who would do that. That's some foolishness. That is some foolishness. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. How have you been, Molly? I've been good. How are you? Pretty good. Um, It's really hot here. Yeah, it's like in the 90s here. Yeah, same here. We got a little bit of fall. Like, it was teasing, like it was on its way. And then Saturday, it was like, the sun was like, I'm back, bitch. It was like, gotcha, bitch. (laughs) Climate change. You better be ready. So, yeah. So, but other than that, I'm trying to think if there's anything. I feel like there was stuff I wanted to talk, but I'm like, I want to save the real foolishness for the end. So, like... Like that way you can exit out if you don't want to hear us completely get off topic. Okay. <laughs> so we read or last episode we did um or no, that's not what I meant. It's August. Well it was August when we picked this book, which we had started doing kid lit. Yes. So for this month we picked a very what I thought would be a nice light read for our kid lit book. Yeah, an easy read. We <laughs> underestimated Marilyn Mildred Taylor. We underestimated our memories. We underestimated a lot. We read Thrill of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred D. Taylor. Yeah. Um, we- Let me ask you, had you read this book in school? Yes, we read it in school. My mom seems to think that I refused to read it. Oh, there's a story? Like, what do you, like it was assigned and you just refused? I Maybe she gave it to me and I like started it and refused to read it. I honestly have no memory. But when I told her, she was like, well, when you were seven, you refused to read that book. <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that. Like, I have no recollection of this story. <laughs> I have no recollection. And she had no further detail to share with me. <laughs> She's like, just know what happened. <laughs> That's funny. Did you ever read? So did you read it in school? Or did you ever, like, beyond this time where you I, apparently refused? Have you had any other experiences? I literally can't remember. Like, I remember having it. Because we had the copy where they were all in the overalls. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then I feel like I remember the sequel. But then I was reading it and I was like, none of this is memorable to me. <laughs> this is all brand new information. <laughs> I remember we read this book. I was not seven. Like, you must have been an advanced reader. We read this book. I think I was in eighth grade, maybe seventh. No, it wasn't. Uh-huh. Maybe it was sixth grade. I think I'm trying to remember. They're all blurring now. I read it in middle school. That's all you need to know. Either between the ages of 12 and 13. (laughs) And uh, we read it as a class. And like there are big scenes I remember like vividly. Like I remember Mm. the incident with the coat, which we can talk about. Mm. I remember the thing with the Packard car. And Mm. I remember um, there was one more. And I remember, I don't remember the fire at all, which is funny because that is like the book art. On the cover. And it's like... (laughs) A major plot point, but I don't remember that. And I remember the um, grandma or the mom, sorry, I can't, I've been reading a lot, having to stand there while the school kids taunt her. 
Oh, yeah. So I remember those scenes vividly. I do not remember them being in the same book. (laughs) (laughs) And then some of the other more, I guess, violent or traumatizing scenes. I'm like, holy shit. I don't remember them at all. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely read this book, but I guess in the almost 20 years since I had read it, I guess I did not get the full impact of it. Uh, like this book let's just say it it's it's like I had I feel like it's rough it is I kept thinking back to what you were talking about when we were reading Addie because I think we left with sort of different views on Addie and you were Uh, like Addie is struggling like Addie (laughs) struggles and like Addie was struggling but Cassie Cassie is out here struggling she was getting traumatized yeah and like it's just really weird to go back as an adult and read this book i know i read as a kid and was seemingly unaffected by and now i'm like holy shit (laughs) this poor child was being (laughs) like yelled at by white dudes on the street yeah so it's just weird and like it was weird i do want to say i liked it it was very well done i thought it was very well written yeah um but yeah, it wore It me did out. not pull any punches. It doesn't pull any punches. It's like here to coddle you. No. Um, so let's back up a bit. We forgot our whole background and our whole synopsis feel. We just had to get those feelings out, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I did also think about, um, uh, I guess I used to be able to read this shit when I was younger. And maybe I'm just old now and I'm like too sensitive. Because I'm kind of afraid to go read Sound the Jubilee, which was a book I loved as a kid. And now I'm like, and that took, as you said, my Addie was a slave. This character was a slave. It's going to be intense. Yeah. So in that one, they do escape to freedom. That's the whole thing. It's about like running away to the North. So, so now I'm just paranoid to read all my favorite children's <laughs> books that deal with black people. <laughs> Thanks podcast. Uh, so we read Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry by Mildred Taylor. As said earlier, it was originally published in 1976 it didn't feel it. She does a really good job at s- the setting of yeah, the Yeah, setting the tone, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's apparently, I did not know this, it was a follow-up to a novella titled Song of the Trees. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this, I didn't know this either. There is a sequel that is like a prequel, really? I, that think, there about- are, I think there's two sequels and a prequel. Okay, like it's a whole... It's a whole series like that follows their family. Yeah. Which makes me feel like I read it because, the what is it? I feel like I read Let the Circle Be Unbroken. Like maybe you read one of the other ones and you kind of like merged maybe it in your I memory did. with this one. Maybe I did. It could have been. Because that would explain why the characters are familiar, but you're like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> <laughs> so, because I do that a lot. Yeah. So, but I didn't even know. I guess I just read it in school, one and done it. It was also the 90s. It's not like I was going to go run and Google the rest of them. So, all right. So let's get into it. Spoilers, but also this book is almost 40 years old. So over 40 years old. So Cassie Logan is a young black girl growing up in the middle of the depression. Now in the fourth grade, Cassie, her older brother, Stacy, and her younger brothers, Christopher, John, and Little Man, begin to learn more about the racism that plagues the lives of their parents and neighbors. From the lack of resources the county provides her school to the dangerous nightmen that run and terrorize her neighbors. Cassie and her brothers are protected from some of the extreme realities of racism by the fact that her family owns the land they live on. However, a neighbor by the name of Mr. Granger hounds the family relentlessly to sell their land to him. One character involved in many of 
these incidents is TJ, a shifty boy who is friends with Stacy. After Stacy and the other kids push TJ out of their circle, he befriends two rough white boys. When the boys commit a violent crime and frame TJ for it, he becomes a target of a lynch mob. It takes Cassie's father setting fire to his own crops to break up the violence. The book ends with TJ in prison, likely to be murdered, and Cassie crying for TJ and the land. I did not mean to laugh at likely to be murdered. That was a nervous laugh. That was that was a yeah. sentence I never wanted to write. <laughs> um, this book was really hard to sort of sum up because it is a very... Like I was thinking, I compared it a bit to Sing Unburied Sing sometimes. Mm. And that was, it's a very kind of atmospheric book. Like she's learning the reality of living in the depression in the 1930s. And it's not one big incident that teaches her this lesson. It's a bunch of little smaller incidents. Yeah. So it's more of like themes, less than one plot. Like one big plot yeah. thing that happens. They all sort of build up. Ask, have, we, have we read any other books that take place during the depression? Hmm. I don't think we have. Off the top of my head, let me see. Um, I don't think so. I'm trying to think of the story. We've read like Civil War. Uh huh. We've read the 80s, even. We've done yeah. some fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, A Chance at Love was all kind of reconstruction. Right. Because that was, yeah, that was pre, I think, maybe this is the first. I think so, which is interesting. Like, I feel like I don't read a lot of books set in this period, even though it's like they're the ages of, like, my grandparents. You know what I mean? Like, some of the stories. It was a big defining moment. Yeah, some of the stories that they were telling, like, the atmosphere. Like, I remember, like, my great aunt and them, like, kind of, it sounded familiar, like, the way that they grew up in, like, southern Missouri. And sort of going back to what I said, she does such a good job at like setting up, like one thing I got off when I first started was just like this, like the mud, the sense of the mud everywhere, the setting, the time. She was really good at that. Yeah. And like all the celebrations and going to the school and their Christmas celebration. It was very interesting. I thought she did a really good job at the setting. Yeah. And the setting, like it was, it was really great. Um, I kind of, I guess I'm trying to think, I guess the best way to deal with this is probably chronologically, just because it does build up on itself. Like just going through the plot. Yeah. So like the book starts, they are walking to school. My favorite character, Little Man, is not here for all this mud and all this dirt. Yeah. He's got a a look he's going for and he doesn't need this. Yeah. They're all in their like Sunday best school clothes. And Cassie's kind of a tomboy. So she's like, whatever, I hate this dress. But little man is like, no, I look so fresh and so clean. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to get mud on me and dust on me before my first yeah. day of school. He's like, that'll right. make no sense. Yeah, it's like, I'm trying to impress. Um, so there's, they're walking down the street. I believe the fir- this is the first time they deal with the bus, right? Like their very yeah. first day. Yeah. So as they're walking, it, we learn about this common... Uh, I can't words today. This frequent interaction they have with the bus. So the white school in the neighborhood has a bus that is able to pick up kids and take them to school. Has two buses. Has two buses that picks up the kids and takes them to school so they don't have to slog through the mud. As the bus is on its route, it frequently passes the poor little black kids as they are walking in this mud and makes a game of either splashing them or threatening to hit them with the bus so that they have to sort of scramble up to the bank. Yeah. And so it's, it becomes a, 
it's what it seemed when I first started reading, I'm like, well, this is like, you don't realize how important this plot point becomes at the time when you're reading it because they sort of spin off that to get revenge, but we'll get there. I want to talk about the books first. They do eventually get to school after their morning run in with the bus that day. Little man gets dust on his pants and he's very upset and Stacy goes and cleans him off. So when they're in the classroom, it's like I had some trouble getting it. Maybe you can help me. There's two classrooms split together by a canvas and they have the first and the fourth graders together in one room and the second and third graders together in the other. That seems backwards to me. Like, (laughs) wouldn't it make more sense to put the younger kids together? Maybe the older kids help the younger kids. I was really stuck on this point and I could not get past it. Yeah, I don't know. I did remember the part with the books, like getting the old books. That part had stuck with me. So it's like they are um, a black conservative teacher um, says, oh, it's so wonderful. We got these new books like they're from the state. Aren't you so happy? And then she shows them the, the textbooks and they're like super run down and nasty. And she's worn out. And worn out. And um, Cassie's in the, the class with Little Man. When Little Man gets his book, he opens it and he throws it on the floor. He starts stomping on it. And I so, love Little Man. I love Little Man. So the teacher's like, the fuck you doing? And they open the book and they see like a ledger of who had the book before. And so it says new and basically all the time the book was new it says white 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 and then um the last entry says now did it say nigra it says like nigra like n-i-g-r-a and yeah, i was like which was not a term that i was familiar with but i know I'm i like, was like you. i'm learning all kinds of new racism today <laughs> that's what i was saying have you seen community where like Troy's like that guy was racist like nice like hardcore we learn new ways to hate ourselves (laughs) and that's how i feel yeah so they've got this book dated the first date is from september 1922 Mm -hmm. and we know that we're well into the 30s so this book is at least 10 years old yeah and yeah the condition is new excellent excellent good good average and once it starts to get like very poor they have the lines remaining for the black kids Uh uh-huh and so once when Cassie sees Little Man and she sees what he does, she wants to return her book too. Yeah. And but everyone hating ass teacher. <laughs> the teacher's like, no, you all are like being ungrateful. Take your books and sit down. Yeah. Doesn't she And then I think she whips I think them. she whips either one or both of them. I can't remember now. Oh, she gets we see, quote unquote, see, like it's written and described as we see little man get whipped because yeah. he wasn't make a sound. So after five switches and he doesn't do anything, she turns to Cassie and she's like, okay, come get yours. Yeah. And so then we break and we see Cassie sort of running to get to her mother to intercept. She's good. <laughs> she's like, she's got, I got to get, because her mother's a teacher in the school. Yeah. And let me tell you something. That is a unique pain. <laughs> that oh, is yes. a unique sadness to have your mother teach at your school. Do you have this experience? I sure do. We all did. <laughs> what's that like it ain't good <laughs> everybody knows how to tell your mama they know exactly where to go to she's tell right you. downstairs <laughs> i remember she used to take my brother back she had like this long uh, closet in the back and she was like if you fuck up we gonna go back there and have a little chat <laughs> shit i can't do anything it's a unique pain yeah <laughs> and isn't she like not only in the school She's Stacy's teacher. Yeah, she's Stacy's teacher. Yeah. And she has kind of a reputation for being uppity. 
at being from the Delta, which I thought was like so rude. Like they said, even though she'd been there a long time, she doesn't really like you get the sense that the other teachers are kind of like more old school. Yes. And they're like more let's just go along with how things are because don't rock the boat. Exactly. It's better than it could be. But the mom, when she learns what they do, she takes some paper and she glues over the, um, the ledger in the front of the book. Yes. I was going to say like Cassie tries to run and beats Miss Crocker, but Miss Crocker gets there before her and she sort of overhears the whole conversation and like you get the sense Miss Crocker is ratting on these kids and she's not in, the mother's not responding the way she wants. Like yeah. she's not as enraged as she thinks. She's not the level of anger that she thinks is deserves for how a little man treated these books. Right. And she's like, and she, we see she still has her books. And from the implication, I guys like she's not handing them out until she goes through and she covers up all of those like tables with the, with, with the names with the slurs in it yeah yeah because uh the cassie and then teacher says well when the mom does it to cassie and little man's book the teacher is like well she's upset because she's like i'm not gonna have them thinking that i did this and then the mom is like well it'll the be the county the mom is like well it'll be pretty obvious because i'm gonna do my whole class yeah so that kind of comes back later yeah, and what's kind of hinted there, I think, doesn't this say something about how she's, like, a little bit more, like, that's the first scene where she's, like, she's a little bit more, I guess, I don't want to hate on Miss Crocker, but she is prouder. She's like, they shouldn't put up with it, we shouldn't put up with it, we don't have a lot of resources, if the county wants to come and see me, they can come and look at all the stuff we need. Right. Yeah, so, and then Cassie, knowing a good thing, just skips out of there. She's like, I got it. She's like, <laughs> Cassie's I like, peace. <laughs> so... And so that scene sort of shifts. They go home. Sorry, I need to go back and look at my book because it is a lot of scenes, I sort of feel like, this book. Yeah. So um, so they go home, and I think I guess it's a weekend, and their dad comes home, and he brings a man with him. Yeah, and the way they describe this man is so disrespectful. <laughs> Are you talking about the veins? <laughs> like they're just like this huge thing. This walking ass tree that just showed up in my yard. Do you want me to read it? Yeah. I, I didn't know what part offended you, so I wasn't <laughs> sure which line to pick. Okay. The man was a human tree in height, towering high above Papa's six feet two inches. <laughs> the long trunk of his massive body bulged with muscles, and his skin of the deepest ebony was partially scarred upon his face and neck as if by fire. Deep lifelines were cutting to his face, and his hair was splotched, to his, splotched with gray but his eyes were clear and penetrating. I glanced at the boys and it was obvious to me that they were wondering the same thing as I. Where had such a being come from? Okay, <laughs> yeah, I, didn't that I, was the, I don't remember the being <laughs> That was the lie. I was like, damn, Cassie. <laughs> These kids are sheltered. Like, they we are. don't get into it. They are extremely sheltered. Where even like just a particularly tall black dude is like, what the fuck? Look at this. <laughs> like destroys their minds. <laughs> so... So Mr. Morrison comes and he, we learn he comes with their dad who's only there for like the day because he's got to turn around and get back up to the railroad. But Mr. Morrison's been fired from the railroad for getting the fight with two white guys. Um, there's this, he's going to live on the land. And the whole time, I feel like there's this implication like they, he's there for some other reason that we will not learn until later. Yeah. Only because we're from the POV of the kids. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't get over the tree. <laughs> the massive trunk of his body. 
this, so, where did this bee come from? Come from. <laughs> so he's sort of presented as like, he's not from the North, is he? No, they're from, they're in L, they're, he's, his, the dad works in Louisiana, right? Yeah, and they're in Mississippi or Alabama. Where were they at? It felt like Mississippi. I believe it is Mississippi. The yeah. mud alone had me like, yep, that's Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the dad has to work in Louisiana because, they own, and we should talk about this, they own half of their land straight out. Right. Nothing is owed on it. But the other half, which the um, his father, the kid's grandfather, yeah. David's father, bought, still has a mortgage on it. Yeah. And it was bought in the 1910s. And so the cotton alone is no longer providing enough money to pay you know, for the mortgage and their living fees. So he goes to Louisiana to work for the railroad right? to help pay for this, um, the land and the land owning their own land is sort of, it puts them in a better position than many other families in the neighborhood, in the area. Right. Who are sharecropping on kind of their rival's land. And he initially owned their 400 acres as well. But after the Civil War, like he became death. Well, his family was broke, so they sold it to a Yankee. They keep saying, <laughs> and then <laughs> Cassie's grandfather bought it, and it's always like pissed off the white guy that they own part of what he thinks is his should be his, and that's what the first book is about. Like him ah. coming and like burning down a bunch of trees and just being oh. mad, disrespectful. You know what? So there's a scene later where the grandmother's like, it's basically kind of an exposition dump, but she's just talking about like the land. And she mentions this whole thing about the trees. And I'm like, that feels like another story. Yeah. So apparently he came and he started cutting down the trees um, without their permission while the father was away. And then the Ah. father comes back and he's rigged the whole place girl with explosives. He tells the kids to run (laughs) and he's like, I'll blow this up and kill all of us right now if you don't leave <laughs> holy shit this dad is really into pyrotechnic i guess <laughs> no, i mean his go-to is always blowing shit up or setting shit on fire he's like don't fuck with me because i will blow us all I will away blow us all up i have never read a book about like racial violence where so where the black family was so quick to be like i will burn it down Oh my gosh. Uh, anyway, so we get the attention that Mr. Morrison is brought for certain protection because there are, I guess, rumors and whispers that some men in the neighborhood were caught up by the nightmen. I don't think the kids know him as nightmen at the time. Just some men in the neighborhood by the family name of Barry got caught up in some violence and were severe. One man died. The other two were severely burned. Yeah. And so it's sort of... I, that's the inflection. That's the inflection, or the implication. I sort of got like he brought this man to live like yeah. on the land to help protect the family. I think so, and I think Cassie kind of knows that after the first kind of night that they have with the nightmen. So it's yes. like uh, uh, she knows that her mother and grandmother are acting very strangely. Like they tell them to go to bed. They get like the guns. They draw all the uh, blinds and turn the lights out. And so she kind of goes out and she's, what's that? I was going to say, doesn't that happen later? Because they have to do the thing that they think they do the bus Well, yeah, first. but she, yeah. Um, so this is kind of where she makes the connection with ah, okay, why yeah. Morrison is there. There. Because yeah. she's thinking like, oh shit, like 
like you said, they've been very sheltered. And so I think that now they're seeing like that there are consequences and those consequences to their actions are like racism. Like, like it's way far out of proportion for kind of like this joke that they play. I think that's where she starts putting it together. Yeah. And so the thing we're talking about, it's actually the next chronological thing is at tired. So it's one day where they get, I guess it's a very particular narrow part of the road and the, it's just rained again. It's like always raining in this book and the road is particularly slick and the bus comes down and it gets little man, I think particularly, or maybe he's just hit. He's just the most mad about it. I think because he doesn't jump up in time. That's right. Yeah. So they get hit with the muddy water. Yeah. And he is heated about it and he's in tears. And so they go to the school and they wash him off. And Stacy puts together this sort of very ingenious, I might say. Yeah. Plan for revenge. Because like I have to remember, he's like 12. Yeah. Um, And so that day they skip their lunch. Christopher John is very upset by this. (laughs) I like Christopher John. He's like, you mean we don't eat? (laughs) The two little boys are kind of like, I need them. Like, yes, please keep being here and being the innocent shining light of this book. And he's like, yeah, he's really mad. He's like, is it worth missing lunch? Um, and they go out in the middle of lunch and they dig what is basically a really long ditch and they sort of hide it underneath mud and water. So it looks like the road just has like just washed, washed out a bit. Yeah. yeah. When it actually is, it's a really deep, it's described like a foot deep, Yeah, a foot deep ditch. Um, covered in water and hidden away. So when the bus, that afternoon, when they're walking back, when the bus is going to drop the kids off, it kind of, it doesn't, they're worried it's going to like cautiously take it, but I guess he just goes full steam ahead into this ditch. It breaks the axle on the bus. All the kids have to get off the bus and walk home. Yeah. And it sort of takes the bus out of commission. And this bus driver had to have been drunk like all the time, right? Because <laughs> he like comes out, he's cussing at everybody. He just sounds like, yeah, he's a hot mess. He's cussing at other kids. He's cussing at them. He looks like somebody who would enjoy, like... Beating a child. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or threatening them with a large, multi-ton moving vehicle. Right. Um, and so the kids are, like, really happy about this prank thing. Because it went off without a hitch. But later that night, they learn that the bus driver and the landowner, I believe, they don't hear the full story. They just know that the bus driver went to the family, to the landowner's house and they were mad. And now the nightmen are riding again. And so they get, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say they get sent to their room. They don't know the full story, but there is a fear that they do have this fear that this is caused by their actions for sabotaging the bus. Right. And so this is another scene I remembered as a kid, like nightmen and being like scared when I went to sleep, like that the clan was going to come. (laughs) it's scary it is scary like she's like crawling around she sees the dog and they kind of come like on a uh, like a caravan up to the house and they like look at it and then they leave and it's just it's really it's described as really freaky yeah and i don't and i'm not sure if they left because they saw i'm sure it's not because they saw mr morrison so that's a silly question i was gonna say i don't know if they left because they saw mr morrison or the kids misunderstood it that's just not the house they're looking for i'm sure it's the latter yeah or they were just kind of going around terrorizing people oh yeah that's it too and then they were going to go to other houses as well because tj so tj the little shit (laughs) we kind of talked to oh we got to talk about tj so he he's like uh 
uh, his parents are sharecroppers. He's in class with Stacy. They always describe him as like real skinny, kind of dusty. Um, he just isn't off. They're not as well off as the Logans. He kind of reminded me. Did you ever watch The Proud Family? A little bit. Was it uh? Who are you gonna say? Those ashy sisters. <laughs> the the meat the gross sisters. Yeah, he kind of reminded me of them. I thought you were gonna say who's the boy they hang out with. I totally forget his name. Oh, like the slick one. Yeah. I can't remember his Less than his like thin, his thin like demeanor. I just got, he's shifty, man. He is. He is extremely shifty. So he, (laughs) he is kind of telling them uh, because uh, Cassie and her brothers are kind of sheltered. Well, not as much Stacy, but Cassie and her younger brothers are kind of being sheltered from what happens. Like the mother's not really telling them. But TJ will come up and he'll say, well, didn't you hear about this? And didn't you hear about that? I love the scenes where he's like describing it. And once he knows he has their attention, like he drags his stories out. And he's like, oh, well, I don't know if I should tell the children because it might be too much for their sensitive little ears. Exactly. (laughs) But he's essentially the one telling them like who the nightmen are. He does really gleefully retell a story about a man being tarred and feather. Yeah. And I'm like, TJ, can you bring it down? Can just you fucking like, relax, TJ? <laughs> you are a little <laughs> bit too excited to tell this, what is actually a horrific story. Right. And reading that scene, I remember reading that and like, I was like, oh, that sounds, and I remember as a kid being like, oh, that sounds awful. And now I'm like, holy shit. Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like in your mind as a kid, you're like, oh, that's that's not good. And as yeah, an adult, you're like, uh. holy shit. Uh, oh another kid I think we should explain here is Jeremy. Um, yes. So these are kind of the kids who walk on their way to school with them. So Jeremy is a white kid who goes to the white school. Yes, and he doesn't ride the bus. He doesn't ride the bus. He's like super duper broke. Oh, uh, <laughs> his father's got all these kids. Uh, he has an older sister, uh, mm-hmm. Lily. Who will, Lily and Jean will Lily discuss. Lily and Jean will discuss. And some older brothers who will discuss. But basically, he he's like, he kind of like saddles up to, uh, <laughs> what is it, the Logan kids and wants to be their friends. And every time yeah. they see him, he's like covered in bruises. Yeah, he <laughs> sounds kind of pitiful. He's very pitiful. So, um he is kind of on the road. He walks to his school, but he kind of likes to walk with the Logan kids and they kind of permit him because he's just kind of around. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, like they, they're not particular, they're cold to him, but they also don't tell him to like, to leave. Yeah. Yeah. He follows them until the road splits and he has to go to his school. Yeah. Um, Uh So yeah, I don't, he's, Oh, Jeremy. I was like trying to figure out what his whole purpose was because I forgot. <laughs> so I guess he he's more important in latter books. Oh, is he? Okay. Yeah, he comes back in, especially I think the fourth book. I read some synopses of those because okay. I was like, well, what happens to all these people? I just presumed he was there to like present like cla- like to bring in class. Uh, like, oh, he. But I guess you don't got to have money to ride a school bus. I don't know. Yeah, because he doesn't <laughs> ride the bus. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> I don't know where I was going for that. So, so anyway, they get older or no, no, not at that part. So I'm trying to figure out what next. So next is TJ 
is like super hyped this year because he's like, well, you know, Stacy, <laughs> your oh, mom yes. mm-hmm. is our teacher. So he's like, this is beneficial for both of us because <laughs> you can just find out when she has a test, you can just get the answers and we can copy them and we'll definitely pass. And yes. And he tries it at one point. Yes. Yeah, so when Stacey, they're hanging out. Yeah. When he comes to the house, he's like, look at all around. And they're like, TJ, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, nothing. He's like, you wouldn't have happened to see a piece of paper with some test answers on it, would you? Something like that. And they're like, oh, TJ, stop. A, doesn't he say like they're leave? First of all, let's start about his, my best part is this is like a very character defining moment. He's talking about them, how to get out of work. And he tells this story about how he tells his mother, his mother has something she has to return to their mom and he volunteers to take it. And he's like, well, once I show up, y'all surely need me to stay and like socialize. I can't be rude to just leave. And he's like, and that's how I got out of doing a whole morning full of work. (laughs) And they're like, okay, TJ. Yeah. Cause he's like, I'm just here for hours and hours. And by the time I get back, everything's done. He's like, yeah, the key to getting out of work is just to not be there. (laughs) And he's like, okay, okay. All right. So they're walking him out and he's like, I forgot my cap. Yeah. So he goes back in the house and they're like, boy, it sure is taking this boy a long time to get his cap. And they go in and he's in their mother's room picking through her paper. Or right. maybe not in her room. Well, her room is the front room. Right. But he's picking through her paper. He's just being shifty. He is. And they that's, see through it. That's like the and, adjective. Yeah, they see through it immediately. That's why I made the joke. Like, because they, they like, he's, he's slick, but he's not slick. Like, he thinks he's, he's slick, slick, but he's not slick about it. Yeah. So the big thing with him... The first big thing with him is um, he does get a little crib sheet. Mm-hmm. And um, he... Well, Stacy rips it up. Well, yeah. Stace, so he has a, he has two copies on Beano's to the kids. And Stacy thinks he takes care of one. But at the end of the school day, like they see that happen. At the end of the school day... They see TJ like tear out of the schoolhouse. Bad out of hell. <laughs> Bad out of hell <laughs> with Stacy right behind him. So if they find out that uh, TJ had a second sheet or he rewrote it or something. Yeah. And he was trying to pass it to Stacy. Stacy's mom found out and then whooped oh, him in front she, of the class. She catched it. Oh my God. I was mad for it. I, I was mad for it. Why him. is he friends with this boy? I have absolutely no idea. Because it's <laughs> like. Because Stacy is kind of like, it's interesting, like, it's not from his perspective, but I think that he is a character that I thought was the most interesting or went through the most He growth. is an interesting character, yeah. Because he's kind of learning, like, how to be an adult in this unfair system. So he's yeah. like, yeah, I'm not, he, do, he isn't going to say anything to the mother about, like, he doesn't try to defend himself or anything. He takes it takes the yeah. punishment but after he's like but he's like i'm i'm coming for tj i'm ass. coming for tj's ass so tj runs to this store the wallace's store the wallace's store where kids have been like drinking and dancing i was very confused by this so the wallace's are a white family uh-huh they they own the mercantile that many of the so the sharecroppers don't have a lot of money but they get credit Right. And that credit is through their store. So most of the sharecropping families have to shop at that store. Right. But they also apparently host social gatherings for the white, for the black kids yeah. with drinks and music. Like in the back like, of the store. Yeah. It sounds like, like a, like a juke joint, like a, a no alcohol 
juke joint, like an old prohibition thing where these kids hang out and the kids are told by their parents, you don't go there. Yeah. So they, in an earlier scene, they go to church together when the father is still there and they're talking about the men who had been burned. And Cassie notes that her father sits there and he says, in our family, we don't shop at the Wallace's store. And at that point, she can't, she doesn't put two and two together because she kind of says something like, that was a random statement to me. Yeah. She doesn't get the connection. So he tells them not to go up there. TJ, because he's a little shit, runs there immediately because he knows they're not supposed to go. He keeps telling Wallace, let's go, let's go, let's go to the Wallace's store. And Stacy keeps saying, no, 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 we're not allowed. So that's where he runs. Stacy runs it after him and Cassie- Kicks his ass. Well, Cassie and her little brothers. And this is like, it reminded me of like, being like a sibling, you know what I mean? Because yes. it was like, I can't let, I know I'm not supposed to go up there, but I can't let my brother go up there. Like, we all got to go. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they all run. Stacy is just like beating the shit out of TJ. Um, until Mr. Morrison comes. Morris. Yes, he breaks it up. He breaks it up. And he presents, I think this, the car, I almost said the car ride, damn it. The ride back home after this, I thought was a really good scene. Yeah. Because it just shows how young Cassie is. Yeah. And like, I guess the difference between her and Stacy, because Mr. Morrison is like, you know, those, the Wallaces are not good people. They let you all up there to drink and fight because they like to mock you and laugh at you while you drink and fight. And like, you're too young to get it, but your parents care about you. And that's why they don't want you to go up there. And right. he's like, he tells Stacy, I'm not going to tell your mother because I think he says basically the responsible thing is like for you to tell right and like Cassie's like well shit he ain't gonna tell because that's stupid yes like Cassie sat back she was like we are the clear and we good yeah we good and maybe maybe he doesn't say it as explicit as like I'm not gonna tell but you should tell but he's like I'm not gonna tell and she's, and Cassie has this moment like well she's like well he doesn't he didn't say Stacy had to tell so right. we're good right and so she doesn't get the lesson. And so Stacy does end up coming clean. Yeah. And instead of, she does get angry, but she, the next day she takes them on a visit to visit with the berries. Right. The mother does. And this scene was, yeah, was wrenching. Yeah. And you see one of the men who was burned alive for, I don't even remember if we know, I believe it was what, like allegedly flirting with someone. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to. Yeah. But Cassie describes the scene and it's just painful. She describes how his lips are like black and charred. His skin is pulled tight. His hair is gone. It's very, it's really visceral. You feel like you can see this man. Yeah. And when they leave, their mother flat out tells them the Wallaces did that to him. They poured kerosene on him and set him on fire. I don't want you going there. Right. Like, when we say this book pulls no punches, this book pulls no <laughs> fucking punches. Oh, you 11 years old? You've got to learn, children. It's, and they did. going to teach you. I think that's, like, the point of the book. It's like, yeah, they did. So, so what's the next big scene? Is that Christmas? I, I think, because, oh, is it the market? Is it Big Ma and Cassie and the kids going to the market? Oh, yeah, you're right. I believe that's what happens next. Yeah. Yes. Because there is a scene, like I said, the exposition dump, where we learn the history about how the family, basically, Molly already covered it, basically the father bought the land, half of it is owned straight out, the other half is mortgaged, and that's how they're working it. Right. And so, and it's really important to them 
to own that land. Yeah, like, the father tells Cassie, like, several times, like, this is our land, like, we'll never sell it, like, this is always going to belong to us and our family. Right, and the mother says the same thing, like, her kids, she lost a lot of her children, either, like, in childbirth, and it's also implied that one of them is lost during World War One, and she's like, this land is for, this land is all I have left of your grandfather, it's going to go to your parents, it stays in the family, it's just really important for the pride of the family to keep track of the land to keep up with the land yeah and so so that's i feel like i don't it's hard to remember this book it's not that they're good it's just it's a collection of scenes that don't really come together until the end yeah so until you get to the end you got to remember the order of things yeah and it's almost i think maybe she did that on purpose like as a kid it's not Mm -hmm. so much like people are telling you things and it's like lesson it's like things are happening around you and suddenly like the older you get and the more experiences you have, like the more your worldview comes together. Yeah. Cause I was thinking again, I compared it to Sing Unburied Sing, but I was like, even that book, it takes place over the course of a day almost. It's like a car trip. Yeah. It does have flashbacks, but I could still I had an easier time summing it up because it takes place in a shorter expanse shorter span of time. Yeah. This one it's like months, maybe a year, months at least. Yeah. I think like October through something. Yeah, at least till January. The new yeah. Year. Um, so the next big scene is when they go shopping. So the, they go shopping, not, there's another, there's a town called Strawberry. So this is not at the Wallace's store. Yeah. So they, they're nearby town. They, go um, they go to sell at market. They go to sell, like, the cotton stuff that they picked. Which, again, made me think, like, I remember my grandma took us as kids, like, down to where she grew up in Arkansas. It was, like, showing us how to pick cotton. And I was oh, like, wow. this shit looks hard. <laughs> I want no part of this. I don't want, I don't want to do this. I'm glad you moved. <laughs> I was like, goddamn, grandma. You know, when you say that, this book made me think a lot. I had just finished reading The Warmth of Other Suns. Uh-huh. And this book threw me back there a lot. Yeah. Because one of the, I almost said characters, but one of the people, have you read that one? I did, yeah. Yeah. One of the people profiled in this book is this woman named Ida May. And I loved her because she left, during the same time, she left the South during the Depression to go to Chicago. And she was like, I was terrible at picking cotton. I couldn't pick as much. I couldn't pick as fast. I hated it. I hated picking cotton. Yeah. And she like, and like, cause they also, the book also talks about these other things that happened like with the schools and the sharecropping. And it was just, it was interesting. It was like, interesting. Cause I feel like a lot of the black literature that we read, like, you know, typically, um, or historical, uh, it's about people who did migrate north. And it's like, my family did kind of. Uh, one side yeah. did. Uh, your family, I don't know if they did, but like St. Louis. Like, I don't know. Is St. Louis the north? I need someone to... Well, yeah. I think that's it kind of is. That's how a lot of black people, that's how Kansas City and St. Louis ended up as such black cities because people were coming from the south and said, ah, you know, Missouri. So it's like, that's the story that we're like, I'm more familiar with. So it's interesting to read like from the perspective of people who are like, no, we're stayed here. Like, and that interesting juxtaposition we'll get to between the two brothers. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I wish I had thought about that as I was reading it, but I'm glad you made it. Yes, that's a great point. That was a genius point. That's why I'm glad you're here, Molly. (laughs) 
So, so this is a big, this is the part I had to put the book down after this scene because I was a little angry because Cassie's angry is anger is very contagious and you just really sort of see the, her naivete in dealing with the people in the neighborhood. She has a very black and white view of the world. Fair, unfair. Yeah. So she, the interesting thing I thought about this scene is, so they're going to strawberry, like you said, and it's like the quote unquote big city. For these, like, <laughs> really, um, and so she says how like Stacy's been able to go help sell their stuff, but she's never been able to go. And this morning, uh, her grandma wakes her up and says, "You can come with me to help out, but don't wake up your little brothers." And Stace, uh, um, Cassie's so excited, she gets on the wagon, only to find TJ there, which is important later. <laughs> and um, when she gets there, she's like you know, this town is dusty. Like, <laughs> why would anybody, like, want to come here? It's, like, very small. It's hot. She doesn't like it. And then she, and, and since then, it's, like, all these little disappointments that lead to this big disappointment. So she goes, and they have to set up their stall, like, way in the back. And so Cassie's like, well, we're here early. Why can't we set up in front? Because, like, that's where the foot traffic is, like, the little budding mogul she is. And so the grandma the whole time has to act like very calm, has to kind of play this role of like teaching her what their quote unquote place is, which Cassie sees it as, but it's really more so to keep her safe because it's like they're out of their land, out of their safe space. So she's like, no, this is the way it is. The white people go in front and we go in the back. Yeah. And Cassie still doesn't really get it. Yeah. Like, even after this whole experience she has, she never, she leaves not getting it because she's still angry. Yeah. So, is this the part where she and TJ and Stacy, TJ has to, is sent with a list of his mother's things. Yes. To, to buy and bring back. Yes. So they go to this, uh, they're told to wait in the wagon <laughs> while the grandma goes and talks to the lawyer, whose name I forget. Um, Jameson? Jameson. And she's like, stay here, um, but TJ can go to the store. And TJ's like, whatever, just come with me. Because, <laughs> again, he's slick. So they, the kids decide to go, all go to the store together. And so they're kind of looking around, and Cass is like, wow, they got all everything here. And um, uh, TJ keeps talking about this pearl-handled uh, pistol, I think it is. And he's like, oh, my God, like, I really want that gun. Like, that gun's so awesome. It's so amazing. And Cassie's like, well, what the fuck are you going to do with that gun? Like, you couldn't even kill a rattlesnake with it. <laughs> <laughs> and so TJ's like, you know, it's not about that. It's about the aesthetic. And I could kill a man with it or something like yeah. that. So. Um, <laughs> Why does TJ remind me of Riley? Oh, the from <laughs> the women's house. That's <laughs> pretty good. That's actually they would get good. along. They would probably get along pretty well. Oh, um, <laughs> um, so um, he goes off, you know, they, they're trying to get the stuff and essentially the white shopkeep, he keeps starting on their order and then leaving them as soon as a white person enters a store or needs help. So they're there for like a super long time, waiting, waiting, waiting. Like an hour. An hour. Says. Yeah. And they know that they got to get back to that wagon before that grandmother comes and sees that they're not there. (laughs) So Cassie is like, she calls him out on it. And she's like, you know, he waits on like a child 
who I think is like their age or younger. That's what like, that's, sets her off. That's what sets her off. And so she starts like yelling at him and the, uh, the shopkeeper is like super belligerently angry. He's like, whose Negro child super is this? Super racist. Oh, he doesn't even say that. He says, whose little nigger is this? Yeah, to which Cassie I, replies, <laughs> I ain't nobody's little nigger. <laughs> right. And you ought not to be waiting on everyone before you wait on us. So she's back talking. So she's back talking. Like some, it's interesting again, like you see kind of like the older generation try to be like, a woman comes up and she's like, no, like, come on, try to get them out of the store. And the guy's like, well, the you woman, belong to, does she belong to you? And then was like, no, uh-uh, no. Yeah. She's like, girl, be quiet. And he's like, is this one yours? And he's like, no. And so Stacy takes her and takes her out. And she, Stacy's practically dragging her out while she's still shouting shit at this man. Right. Like, so, and she doesn't get what just happened. And she no. doesn't get how dangerous what she, her actions were. Right. Um, she's just, she's just mad because she sees like, I was in there. I got money. Like, you know, TJ. I was waiting. I was waiting. So out on the sidewalk, she bumps into uh, Lily and Jean. And this is the scene that got me because Lily and Both Jean. Both of them. Was that? Yeah, the whole. The whole market day, I had to, I'm like, I'm it's, done. It's rough. Lily and Jean is basically like, apologize to me, walk in the street, like, if you can't watch where you're going, you're black, I'm white, like, and she's like, just super belligerent. Um, Cassie is like, no, because she hates Lily and Jean and knows that she's nasty. And she's like, you know, she doesn't. I think she says like sorry or something, but then Lily Jean is like making her grovel, wants her to grovel. Yeah, she she does apologize. She's like, I'm sorry, but then Lily and Jean's like, you need to walk in the street, and Cassie's right. like, no. And then when Lily and Jean reaches to put her in the street, Cassie swings her arm back, and then the father grabs it, twists it, and sort of pushes shoves her, her in the street. Yeah, yeah. And so that's when the grandma comes, and she's like very like almost like very blank she's very like you know just say sorry cassie like let's just get out of here and she's very like uh rigid she's not like as angry as cassie and cassie like can't understand why so uh cassie leaves when they go home she's very angry at big ma for not taking her side right she says it right yeah and stacy sort of has to tell her you don't be angry with Big Ma for what happened. Yeah. It's not her fault. Because he says to her, which I thought was interesting, he's like, did you ever think that maybe she couldn't stick up for you? And yeah. I was like, oh, this book is breaking yeah. my heart. It's it's a lot deeper. And it's like, what was I doing in middle school when I was reading <laughs> books? Just like not paying attention. <laughs> so, yeah. So they drive back. And when they get home, there is a silver Packard in the barn. And whose silver Packard is it? Uncle Hammer. Uncle Hammer's. <laughs> Which is a name. I loved it. Is that his given name? Did she name her son Hammer? I have no idea. Like, I didn't even question it. <laughs> I, You know I had to think MC Hammer, so I pictured <laughs> Uncle Hammer as just MC Hammer in a zoot suit the whole time. <laughs> like, Uncle Ham- <laughs> Hammer just sounds like such, like, an uncle name. That was just like, I didn't even <laughs> think about it. It's like, of course, that's your Uncle Hammer. It's like, all right. <laughs> okay. Uncle Ham. Um, so he shows up and like they're very happy to see him. And they they eat dinner. There's this really funny, not funny, but like tense scene where Big Ma really wants 
to get Cassie out of the room before she can share her story about what happened right. in town. Because he starts asking him, like, oh, you went to Strawberry for the first time. Yeah. And they're, like, trying to, like. yeah, the grandma's, like, trying to get Cassie to get gone before she says what happens. But Cassie. Yeah, and Cassie is ready to share this story. She's like, ah, this happened, this happened. And the second she says it, Uncle Hammer, like, loses his shit. And he's like, oh, he, he pushes you, he pushes you down. That way he put your, his hands on you. And he is pissed. He's very pissed. And it's, it feels like the scene feels like you've got these three grown people trying to calm this man down, hide the guns because he's that angry. And he does eventually get into his car. Mr. Morrison jumps in at the last minute. Right. um, And they drive away. Right. Cause he, he says some interesting things. He's like, you know, like now putting myself in like the adult's position. Cause you try to think like, okay, what would, my life had been like if I was living here in these circumstances. And you'd like to say like, yes, I would be the angry one. But it's like, would I be if I had kids and all this? So I don't know, it's kind of interesting. But then you hear his perspective and he's like, I went to, uh, he was in the war and I think his leg was badly injured. Yeah, because he has a limp, doesn't he? I think so. And so he's like, I go over there, I fight for them, I get injured, I come home, and he's like, and my little niece is getting, getting like, pushed down in the street by, like, grown-ass men. So it's like, yeah, that's enough to make your blood boil. And I think, and I don't know if I read, I don't know if I'm in, this might be actual fact, I read it somewhere, I thought, I thought that was the reason for, like, the... That's what sort of ramped up the civil rights movement in like the 50s and 60s where you had veterans who went and fought in World War II. And I think it did start at the end of World War I, but then World War II happened and sort of interrupted it. Yeah. You had these veterans who did fight in World War II and they came back and they Well, like, this is World so, War One. Yeah. That he would have so fought in, but you're correct. Yeah, it's a similar sentiment and that's sort of what happened and that's why the civil rights sort of, that's what gave the civil rights movement, I guess, like the steam right because a lot of people were coming back and the gi bill was not benefiting black veterans the same way that it was benefiting white veterans so a lot of the you know bithy's success that kind of skyrocketed the middle class and like white suburbia white flight and all that a lot of black were feeling like left behind so that was definitely the sentiment because interestingly enough I think that, I think the last book ends with Pearl Harbor. Oh, does it? I think so. This book goes, this series goes there. She is not afraid. (laughs) So yeah, so they go off. The kids are kind of like upset because they're like, well, what's happening? They, again, they don't understand. Um, But fortunately, like Mr. Moore, where they wake up in the morning, like there's like breakfast and everybody's calmer. And Mr. Morrison was essentially able to talk. Uh, Uncle Hammer down off the ledge. We do have like before that, like because the mother sends all the kids to bed. She's like, "You all, you all feel like talking. I guess you're tired. Go to bed." And she comes and he, she talks to Cassie, and it's like the first time someone explicitly sort of tells her, "Listen, some people think they're better than you because of the color of their skin, right? And it can be dangerous for you. You have to learn how to navigate it, right? And so." Yeah, it's a hard, it's a sad moment. It is. Yeah. Um, but then it's followed by like the happiest moment in the book, Christmas, <laughs> which is Yay! a scene I really like. Like I really like the h- historical nature of it, like talking about what Christmas would have looked like. 
Um, so I think like, is this a scene where she's watching her mom get dressed? Um, I'm looking through. I don't know. I know it's the, it's the coat, right? Oh, I think we remember it two different. I think we focus on two different things. Okay. So right before this, uh, they get, yes. So first they get, first they're going to go to church and, um, they're walking out. Stacy has on this old coat that doesn't fit. And Uncle Hammer looks at him and he's like, is that the only coat that you have? And so Stacy's kind of embarrassed. And he's like, yeah. So Uncle Hammer goes, he gets his gift. He says, this is for Christmas, but I'm going to give it to you early. Stacy unwraps it. And it's this brand new, like, wool, like, stylish coat. And so. It's nice, but it's a bit big on it. It's a bit big. And so the mom is like, well, I'll just take it in. Just put it in now. The kids are, like, super excited. They go to church where they run into. They're wearing the Packard. They're riding the Packard. Oh, yeah. And they run into TJ. They run into hating ass TJ. One thing I do want to say, I think this is the scene where they're getting ready for okay, church. Okay, yeah. Cassie's watching her mom get uh, dressed, which I thought was just a very, like, just an extremely sweet scene. Like, she's talking about her mom, like, doing her hair. And that's, like, another memory, like, I have, like, watching your mom get ready and thinking, like, oh, she's so glamorous, like, I can't wait to be grown up. And I thought it was just, like, a very sweet scene. That's, I'm, I'm, I don't know why I didn't remember it. I guess the coat stands out for me. That is a very sweet, like, trope that I love. Yeah. I kind of love the scene of, like, little kids watching their parents ready or something. Right. It's cute. So, yeah. So, yeah, they run into Shifty TJ. (laughs) I mean, the joke was funny, but it was still Shifty. So he basically is telling, <laughs> he basically sees Stacy in this new coat and he's like, ah, it's a preacher's coat. Like, you look so whack. Like, oh, are you an old ass man in this preacher coat? And so Stacy's like looking at his coat. He's like, it really makes me look like a preacher. And like TJ's like, yeah, it don't fit. And so I think he like talks, TJ talks Stacy into letting him have it. It's borrow it borrow it he he implies like i'll wear it till you grow into it and then i'll give it back right which is so shifty like, oh, because okay. they, they say over and over again how tj is so skinny yes exactly <laughs> he's gonna look him does that i'm looking through yeah so yeah and then he and, he, and the uncle is like if you were dumb enough to give away your coat don't go ask for it back yeah so when they get home later like closer to christmas the mom is like well get your coat i'm gonna shorten the sleeves and then everybody's like looking at their feet and they're like well what happened what happened and so they let out what happened and the mom says well we're just gonna ask for him it back like that's the nicest co- i think she says that's the nicest coat he'll ever own in his exactly life. and so that's what the uncle is like no like if you were dumb enough to let it go if you were dumb enough to fall for that then you know, you gave it away, you gotta, this, again, these are the consequences of not understanding the, the situation. Yeah. yeah, you'll learn. You'll learn. This will, te- this will teach you, yeah. Which I thought, <laughs> they brought the coat back, like the mom brings the coat to their house, and uh, the uncle makes it turn it away. I love how the adults are like, we're not letting that boy keep that coat, that coat is too fine. No, no, the, yeah, the, uh, TJ, TJ's mother comes back with the coat, and then the uncle turns her away again. And he's like, no, that's it. He's like, you didn't want it? You don't get it. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that scene. And the child was like, that's rough, Hammer. It was really, I mean, but also at the same time, like, I get it. 
Stacy's at this age, like, listen, because Stacy is an interesting character, as you said, because sometimes he's like really got a head on his shoulders. He seems sensible. He's with it. But like, yet he's still hanging out with TJ. Right. He's letting TJ Manipulate shift him. him like this. Yeah. And it's like, boy, you're so close. Right. After the test thing and after the coat, like after the test, that should have been it. You shouldn't have had a chance to get your coat. Right. You got your ass whooped by your mama in front of you. <laughs> right. We did also forget um, this Packard scene. Oh, when they're, when driving. they're driving back. So when they're driving yeah. back. So <laughs> the thing about his car, Hammer's car, um, they're all like, oh, is it that like, uh, what's the guy who? Mr. Granger. Mr. Granger's car. They're like, is it that Mr. Granger's car? And he's, Hammer's like, no. Um, he's like, it's the same make and model, but um, mine's a few. <laughs> mine's a little <laughs> newer. <months> newer. <laughs> So they're driving back and there's like this rickety ass old bridge that Cassie's like shitting all over. And uh, they had to pass basically one by one. And they say if a black family gets on the bridge first, no matter what, if they need a Mm -hmm. white family, they have to back all the way up to let the white family go. So they get on the, they get on the bridge and then they see a car full of white people and the white people assume it's the other guy, so they tip their hats and back up. And then with the Logan speed passed, the white people are gotcha. like, what? And Hera's like laughing and he's loving it. I love it too. <laughs> so I'm trying to think what's next. Next I think is Christmas when the dad comes back. Yes. Yes. Which is a sweet scene. Yeah. So they, which also uh-huh. gave me Addy flashbacks. It did. <laughs> a lot of dads returning at Christmas on this show. <laughs> So I, I just loved how they were like eating and they were talking about mm-hmm. doing all the cooking and roasting Listen, the, the nuts. The food sounded delicious. The food did I could have just been delicious. hungry. No, it really did. She had a good way of writing about food, which was interesting because she barely talked about food in the book. So it was like, oh, well, she she talked about food very well. So I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. She just listed, but it just sounds good. Like pound cake and ham and Oh, custard. but the way she was like talking about them roasting like the nuts on the fire. I was like, that sounds good. Oh, see, yeah. I don't like nuts. I was uh, here for like, I was like, when she just describes the list of stuff they were eating, I'm like, oh, that sounds good. I just love like a soul food Christmas. I love fall. I love winter. We're coming. <laughs> so I think one of the big things that happens at Christmas is that they get a knock on a door. Who is it? Uh, little abused Jeremy with a flute. <laughs> this boy. So he, I guess, walked through the snow <laughs> to give his friend Stacy a flute that he had whittled or something. Which is kind of sad. It, it was it was extremely sad. And it was like, I thought, like, I think in any other book, like, they would have invited him in. But I think, <laughs> like, because the reality of this book is, like, no, it's not safe for you to be here. So they turned him back out. <laughs> And then the fa- the father and the uncle kind of talk to uh, Stacy, and the uncle is like, "I wouldn't want no flute a white boy gave me." <laughs> and then the father says a line that I think becomes important in later books. Um, he says something like, "Yeah, you guys might try to be friends now, but at some point, he's gonna remember that he's white and you're black, and that's gonna be tested." Yeah, and I thought that was a really good scene because I think as an adult you've 
it's not as bad as it was like clearly in the depression but as an adult you've had that moment yeah yeah um so this is this when they start the like the um boycott in earnest yes so we should talk about the boycott yeah um so when they've been going to the church the mother's been going all around and um they essentially want to find someone else to lend credit to the black and sharecropping families so they don't have to shop at the um what is it ellis store anymore and so again it's interesting because this this is kind of in the background but it's like you said like it doesn't all come together until much later, some things. So this is why the lawyer's been around. This is why they stopped in town. This is why the mom is going to sign, grandma's going to sign over, um, like, the rights to the land to her sons. It's all kind of, like, going on in the background. Yeah, and there is a scene, though, earlier on where she goes to some of the less well-to-do families and is like, you we got to stop shopping there. And she right. sort of like helps. She's like, if I can get you credit somewhere else, will you shop somewhere else? And they're like, yes. I think about it. One man recalls like, yeah. Well, because one man, he says this really thing that I remembered where he's like, I got burned once as a kid and yeah. I just remember the pain. And he's like, I think about that being a terrible way to go. And he's like, if you can find me credit for someone else, then yes, I'll support your boycott. Yeah. So the, the lawyer comes in, he brings all the guests to the kids and then he's like, he basically says, like, uh, you know, there are white people here who are seeing what's going on and don't think it's right. And so the dad kind of turns around and he's like, well, why don't y'all do anything? Right. And then the lawyer's kind of like, uh, you know, it's not real safe for us to do it. But he's like, but I, wa- I do want to help me and my wife say we can buy credit at this store in Strawberry. Um mm-hmm. And so the dad's like, you know, you're not going to make me any money off of this. <laughs> so the lawyer's like, yeah, you know, that's not my intention. And so the whole boycott kind of heats up and it starts sort of getting to the attention of the Wallaces. Yes. And so, or wait, does he? No. Well, it's like the attention of the guy who owns the credit, the guy who wants the land. Yeah. And he comes over and it's like interesting to juxtapose the scene where he comes over versus the scene where the lawyer comes over. Because the guy who wants the land comes over, he's like kind of disrespectful. He's chopping on this big cigar, and he's like kind of talking down um, to the uh, father and uncle until they start talking back to him, and he's like real upset. And basically, like he he implies like, uh, you know, I could just make your uh, the mortgage on your land due like tomorrow. Tomorrow, yes. And um. Uh, you know, Cassie and them are hearing these threats and being more and more aware of what's happening. So that's threatening hangover, and then that threat hangs over. I do think it's interesting the tension between Hammer and Mr. Granger. Uh-huh. I remember that being interesting because again, it's sort of like I just thought of the warmth of other sons and about how like the people would leave to go to Chicago because they were sick of like, and they would come back and sort of people accuse them of being uppity, right. I guess in a way. Because he doesn't right. tolerate it. No. And the dad doesn't either, but it's just different the way the uncle sort of Yeah, like the him. uncle's more brazen about it. And he, he yeah. I don't know if we said that, he had gone to live and work in Chicago. And he says something like, uh, uh, the guy's like, well, that's a nice car you got. Like, how did you get it? Like, kind of implying that he's bootlegging. And so Uncle Hammer's like, well, I got, t-, he's like, I went up north where they pay 
a man's wages, uh, a man's wage for a man's work. And so um, he says something like, you know, not five cents a day or something. And that's like the best that the sharecroppers get or that this guy pays. So he's being very like passive aggressive, but like super shady, which I thought was awesome. I remember in eighth, like, or whatever grade it was we learned, this is, because as I was reading it, it was bringing, like, those school memories back. Uh-huh. We did read this, and we had to do a whole unit about sharecropping, uh, how basically it was just a scam. Yeah. <laughs> like, and you don't really realize, like, again, another thing I didn't get as an adult, or as a kid until I got as an adult, like, you are never meant to catch up, and, like, right. it's just slavery by another name. Right. Because it's and like, he owns all the land, you have to buy the seed by the tools by the fertilizer on, on someone credit. else's credit not someone yeah. else on his credit exactly on he the guy that credit you, right and then at the end of the growing season they take all that back in the form of the profit of whatever's sold plus anything else because if you're a poor sharecropper you're probably not looking at the books and you probably don't know accounting so like who knows plus what they're taking the interest from the yes, store. Yes, about the interest. So that's why he's like really upset that they're boycotting the store because it's like he gets a cut of literally everything because he buys the crops. Like basically he's like, I'll pay you. Like, it's like, I'll pay you to work my land, but you don't own shit. So and I'll then I pay- charge you to use the shit. Well, he's like, you don't own shit. So he's not buying the crops from them. Those are his crops. So he's like, I'll give you just this measly little amount. And, like, you had to pay me rent. You had to pay me interest on all the food and clothes you buy. And all you're doing all this work to benefit me. And then I go and turn and sell the crops, and I don't give you none of that. Exactly. It's just, it's it really hit me. I was like, damn, this is a scam. Because <laughs> I forgot about the whole store system. Like, I always remember sharecropping. Like, yeah, you're getting ripped off on that end. But then there's also the possibility that they're getting you both ways. Right. Yeah. Huh. So the next big thing I think is Cassie's revenge. Oh yeah. With Lily and Jean. And you know, it reminded me of American Spy. And I can't was her name Brenda? Either way, remember the sister, Jean Marie's sister oh, yeah. tried to drown the main character. Oh yeah, it did remind me of that. <laughs> and then she plays nice to her and then she all <laughs> tries to kill that woman in the pool. <laughs> right. So that's what it sort of reminded me of. Yeah. Cassie's good. Cassie's a little angry spitfire and I kind of like it. I kind of liked it. Yeah. So she pretends to be friends with her and then uh, she gets, she gets her to all tell her dirt. all her secrets. Then so she takes her to the wood, beats her, and then says, if you tell anybody, all your shit's going to be public. And I'm like, I'm still impressed she even got away with that. Right. Like, I know the book needed it. Like, it needed some sort of like, Cassie needed to be able to, like, be victorious in something. But, like, even then, I was like, oh, Cassie. Cassie, they're going to burn down your house. Right. Like, she don't care if you know her secrets. <laughs> She's going to come get you. I think it kind of shows that, um, like, Lily and Jean and uh, Jeremy, like, their family, it's interesting. Like, the only thing that they have, and it kind of reminded me of uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, this kind of setup. It's like the only thing they really have is that they're white. Because I feel like they're broker, you know, they're yeah. than uh, the Logans. Like, their family's a mess. Like, she talks about how the kids are all dirty and there's too many of them. So it's kind of like, I feel like 
the only thing Lily and Jean has over Cassie is this system that she's built up. And Cassie finds a way to get her revenge in a way that Lily and Jean can't manipulate the system against her because they're completely alone and she knows all these intimate secrets about her. Yeah, which is why I was saying, like, that's why when we had that discussion, like, why are they introduced? And I thought it was class. And then I backed out because I was like, well, it doesn't, it's free to ride the bus. But I think you're onto something, yeah. And also when the mother talks to Cassie after the day at the market, she's like, he needs something to make himself feel big. Right. And that's how he makes himself, making himself feel better by thinking he's better than you by being white. Right. Is the only way he can feel good about himself. Right. And it kind of shows him as like, pathetic in all these different ways like jeremy is like this kick dog that nobody likes um lily and jean is so stupid she falls for this trap very obvious trap the father like needs to feel big so he pushes down like literally a little girl and then is this and then they break and is this the big ending like do we lead to the ending with the break with tj yeah and the and him hanging out with the Wallace boys. Yeah, yeah. So TJ gets into a fight, I guess, over, over, he gets kicked out of school. So he blames, not Stacy, but at least he's mad at Stacy because the mother, Stacy's mother who kicks him out, right? Yeah. And so that's sort of what breaks him off from the, from the group of kids. And so he starts hanging out with rougher kids. The, right. The Wallace, are they the youngest? No, they're not the youngest because that's Jeremy. They're just two white teenagers who are the Wallace siblings. Yeah. And he doesn't realize that they're using him for entertainment, basically. They're mocking him behind his back. They're talking about, um, they're like, don't they make him do stuff and sort of shuck and jive for entertainment? Yeah. 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 And so they eventually get him set up for murder. Yeah. We need to talk about that. So they go back to the shop in Strawberry. And they rob the place. And the two white teens have, like, what do they have on their faces? They go in and they rob the place. The old guy comes out and um, they, what do they do? Like, this is where it gets fuzzy for me, too. We didn't have too much time. Well, we had a lot of time to read this one. We We, did. It was very school-like. We procrastinated until the day was due. At least I did. But essentially, they're robbing the place the owner dies and the wife like cracks her head cause they push her over and then they tear out of there. Um, TJ goes to hide. Um, like the Logans take him in to hide him. Um, which is brave of them. And I think, cause like, I think back during that day, wherever they found you, you could put the whole house in danger if they, like, right. they would just drag everybody out of the house. Right. Which is, I mean, they do have com- consequences from it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, right. they like don't they shoot at the dad? It's like I feel like they ambush the dad and the uncle and Stacy. The dad's leg gets crushed. Yeah, I know. He, yes, he does hurt his leg. But essentially, so they get ambushed. Um, Granger makes good on his threat. Like when they're coming, I know it's like a lot. So when they're coming back with the stuff, the items, they get ambushed. The dad crushes his leg. They get shot at, and then um, uh, Granger makes their mortgage due, and because it's due, they can't like they had another four years to pay. Um, 
Hammer has to sell his car um, so that they can uh, they can repay. Yeah. Um, and then essentially uh, TJ comes back with the pistol, right? Because they stole it from the the store, the mercantile. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and not the mercantile. That's the Wallace's stop. The store in Strawberry. The yes. store in Strawberry. I think I'm getting it mixed up too. But essentially, I think the big parts that happen are TJ robs the store, gets the pistol. The Logans are um, uh, try to hide him. Yes. Uh, the 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 violence. The violence. Come, I know they up. go to the property. To try and like get him out, and then the dad sets fire to the fire, sets fire to their land on purpose. Right, because they're coming to lynch him, essentially, yes. like it's a lynch mob, the nightmen and everybody, and then to take the heat off, like to divert people's attention. The father sets fire to the land, so everyone rushes to put out the fire. And TJ is eventually arrested. TJ is arrested, and they're like, "Well, no, he'll good. probably take the fall." <laughs> yeah. Right, and then. It ends with Cassie crying. I I feel bad that I like completely blurred that big stuff, but it's a lot happening. It is. And, and it like ramps up a lot toward the end. Slow atmospheric scenes probably stayed with me a lot more than like the really plot heavy ones, which I'm which not saying anything about that, but it's just, it just did. She has a gift yeah. for, for those scenes. Yeah. I thought that was interesting too. Cause now I'm trying to like, remember like what happened here, but yeah, I think I think more so than like a plot by plot, it's like the bigger things that happen at the end. Like the the mud, the food, we could tell that apparently in great detail. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, so that book it was just it also kind of depressed me. So maybe I, I skimmed the little ending a bit because I was like, you know what, I don't need right now. I, I don't need to read about black people. <laughs> being abused especially from a child's perspective that's fair yeah and it was just a downer but it was a really good book and it's been interesting rereading books from my childhood yeah it has been like because you get a a different perspective and then it's like interesting what sticks with you like you said yeah and the book kind of just ends like we don't know what happens after the fire we don't know we never get that like confirmation of what happened to tj it just ends. Yeah, it just ends. So it's it's it plays out over the next two books. Um, but yeah, if it's just this one, and it seems like most people just read this one. Like it seems like it's, yes. this is the which is interesting because it's not the first one written, and it's, it's not. <laughs> no, this is the second of four. I think because I remember you told me. I think I was. It was probably in one of our episodes. It's probably recorded somewhere on this podcast when you told me it was a series, and I was like, "Oh, damn!" Like that's <laughs> when I first learned that there were more than just the one book in this series. Sequel to the 1975 novella "Song of the Trees." Um, it's followed by two more sequels: "Let the Circle Be Unbroken" and "The Road to Memphis." And then it has a prequel that was written in 2001 called "The Land." There's also apparently a movie. Yeah, which I, I didn't. See. I didn't remember that. Did you remember that? I don't remember that. I remember because every time I would Google it, uh-huh. and then I'm not gonna lie, half of what helped me get through this book was I listened to an unofficial audiobook that some child just recorded and posted themselves on YouTube. <laughs> so in the recommended, in the recommended spot was the movie. I didn't uh, watch the movie, 
But I did. I was like, oh, they're posting bootleg versions of the audiobooks. And then I realized, no, this isn't bootleg. This, this is, is just something someone recorded on their own. <laughs> and you know what? I was like, all the comments were just people like, thank you for doing this. But um, so, yeah, so I that's how I found out there was a movie because uh, I saw it on it's on YouTube, apparently. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so um, it kind of, and that, the look, the still was like all of them in a car, which immediately made me think of The Watsons Go to Birmingham, (laughs) which is another book I probably cannot read now. Yeah. Because I don't think I'd be able to handle it. Yeah, yeah. That book, well, that book messed me up as a kid because I remember, I think I read it before, I read it when I was kind of young, so I think I was in elementary school. And I should have been able to put two and two together, but I guess I was just dumb and didn't and didn't get, oh, they're going to Birmingham in the 60s. It's going to deal with racism. Right. I just thought it was about a trip, about a family going on a road trip. Uh-huh. And then it very I mean, much but was that's not- how they sneak it up on you. You know what I mean? It's like you're just reading a book, enjoying I- yourself as a child. Yes. And then it's and like, it's- let me tell you about the clan. Yeah. Like, oh. And and and, the, and church bombings. Let's church talk about bombings church bombings. And- because Dogs the whole, sick dog people. The whole first part of that book is really just like family. Like, yeah, we love each other. We got this car. We're going to drive and visit. Fa- and then all of a sudden, shit's getting blown up. Yeah. It hit me. Yeah. So it's just interesting. I do like this book. I love the sense of family. Like the two younger sis, like this, the way the siblings sort of stick together. Yeah. The parents, Big Ma, like... There's a really good sense of family and warmth there that I really like. Yeah, and I think it I think it really did a good job of introducing like some heavy topics in a way that a kid would see it. You know, because we talked a little bit about um, uh, the hate you give. Oh, the hate you give. Yeah, and we kind of talked we kind of talked about how it kept cutting away from like the more adult conversations and the more adult themes. Yes, um, and the heavier scenes and the, and the more... Exactly, like you yeah. don't see her testify. It has like a similar conflict between brothers and that, but, you know, she, there's a scene where Star goes to bed and she comes back and everyone's like, fine. This, I feel like, didn't shy away so much from the adult thing, the adult themes. Like you see Cassie and like look, telling the perspective of her parents like struggling with this boycott, talking about like, moving north versus staying south um uh you know that you you could be friends with someone today but tomorrow they could turn on you and i thought it just did it in a way that was like more unflinching than Mm -hmm. um the ya book the hate you give that we are not to say one was better than the other though i would probably say that i i just objectively thought that this book was a little bit better written um i think I mean, uh-huh. I think it does sort of weaken the themes that you're trying to, if you're trying to show how bad, like racism is bad, but yeah. then when it comes to showing it, you never really show it in its full, like evil. It does sort of weak. Cause that was my thing with the hate you give. I didn't like the fact that it has, it is like, it does do the, like we see the shooting and that's bad, but there are other bad things. And it seems like we don't, we it's, don't give those things the attention. Yeah. It's, it's not examined. How, yeah. And so it's like, I think this book does feel more powerful. And I bet you it's aimed at, I think this is middle grade. It feels like it's aimed at younger readers. 
it does feel more powerful because it does not like it uses the n-word uh-huh. we hear about a man getting burned alive uh-huh. a man getting tarred and feather like one of the characters is very blatantly set up to take the fall for a murder that's very unfair like it feels like yeah you read the book and you're like yeah this is bad it feels more it feels more real and like what's bad but also what's good like it felt more yeah. like like the part where they go up to the store and like mm-hmm. they go because it's like their brother is going and it's like you can't let him just go by himself right <laughs> like it felt more familiar to me if that makes sense like even the christmas scenes driving around in the car yeah, And I don't know if that's an age thing, because I guess this came out in the 70s, like I was born in the 80s, like, you know, maybe a younger kid would relate more probably to the story and the hate you give, but it just, it seemed a little bit more um, just real throughout and unflinching throughout. And then another thing that I liked too, that it wasn't, it was presenting all these sides, but it wasn't, there wasn't ever a character who came in and seemed like, oh, I just know everything and I'm so right. Like, I see sometimes, so we start buying books for baby. Uh Uh-huh. And there's a lot of things that are like, oh, I'm so woke and I know this and I know that and I'm so great and I'm my ancestor's greatest dream. Like, that kind of mentality. And you see with the parents, like, they're struggling to be better and they're struggling to do better with, like, the boycott and Uncle Hammer and stuff, but not in a way that seems, like, self- um, I don't know what you would call it, like patting themselves Brand- on the back. Brandizing. Exactly. It seems like they're doing it because like they see that something's wrong. And I think there's a scene where I can't remember who says it to the father, but he says, maybe it's the lawyer. And he's like, you know what the boycott, like you could lose everything and you still are unlikely to win against this guy. And so the father says, um, yes, but I want my kids to know that um and see that I fought and maybe when they're older they can win and it was like holy shit like it wasn't like they were doing it because like for any other reason but because they thought it was right right which I thought was not something like that conflict and just that you know desire to be better um, not because it's part of the historical movement or people are going right. to applaud me or anything like that, but because like this is what we need to do to survive. And I think going back, that's what she was good. It's goes back to like including the whole family. I don't want to harp on the hate you give comparison, but I think it's a good one. And I like comparing books we've already read. Uh-huh. And because I think the hate you give is supposed to be about Star's story as a whole. Uh-huh. Like it's about her experience in this white school and dealing with her parents struggle and living in this neighborhood. And yes, she does witness the shooting, but it's part of a more holistic thing. Whereas with the role of Thunder, Hear My Cry, it, we're not really in anyone's even though Cassie's telling the story or she's not telling the story because it's not the first person point of view but um she's our main we're following her perspective more than anything it's still the whole family like we sort of get we know what's going on with TJ and Stacy we know what's going on with the mom and um trying to organize these boycott with the neighbors and we see the thing with um I guess the little brothers don't get that much they're still kind of babies and to save some tweets I think this isn't the first person is it Okay, <laughs> I'm not looking at it directly, but um, but it doesn't but still, seem as close. It, it doesn't, doesn't seem as much yeah. in her head. Yeah, yeah, because it feels like we're getting a more holistic look of how this impacts the whole family. And I guess 
and I don't want it to seem like I'm putting the hit you give down. I think just given the day and the nature of the racism they're facing, it would feel more like Star can balance all those things because she has the privilege to like go to a nice school and not have to worry about like some racist nightmen coming and like shooting at our house. Right. So I'm not comparing it that way, but I do think that's why it feels like it's more hard hitting in this book because we see how it affects everyone as opposed in Star's book where we're mainly just sort of following her experience. Right. Did that make any sense? I don't know if it did. I feel like it's in my head. <laughs> no, it's so, it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and, and then just to compare it to Addie, again. Yeah, poor Addie. Like Addie, yes, Addie was out here struggling, but I do feel like the American Girl books, like their focus is to sell them dolls. You know what they I mean? They sell dolls and they have and a younger accessories. age group. Yeah. And it's like, what would be the accessory for this? Like a flower sack dress. A too large coat. A too large coat. Your mom stuffing her, you know, the shoes with newspaper because she only has one. Yeah, it was her, it's the husband shoes. It's the husband shoes, his old shoes. And then she puts her own shoes in it because she only has the two pairs of shoes. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like the objective of this book and probably because it, when it was written too, like 76, like the objective of this book was to be real with children about the shit that their grandparents were going through. Because if it was written in 76, and I think this book takes place 33 or so. like if, Yes, the 30s depression. So yeah, it would be those children's, grand, like you said, grandparents. Well, in 76, it might have been their parents. It could have been their... Well, yeah, it could have been like if Cassie... By the time she would have aged up and then had kids reading the book, right? Yeah. Yeah. It would have it would not have been that far removed from when it came out in seventy six. So and I feel like they just they were real in in the seventies. They're gonna tell you how shit was. Right. Yes, small child, we're gonna give you this book where a man gets chased by a lynch mob. Right. Uh so I, I think I also think we touched on this well, you said something before we recorded. That, like, this book feels more intense, and Addie was an actual slave, and it still yeah. feels more intense. That's also probably because of the age group. Like, yeah. The American Girls books are, like, I hadn't realized how big the print was until we went back and read it. <laughs> and I'm like, how short the books are. I'm like, this book is only 30 pages. Yeah. And it's got a size 14 font. So, yeah, there is also probably a big age gap between, between the audiences. Books. Yeah. But, yeah. I know, I'm just... I thought like it'd be fun. I think it's written by a black guy though um, to do Roll of Thunder. And I, why do I keep saying the title of the book? We're currently <laughs> reading the Birmingham's go to Bur- or the Watsons go to Birmingham. Oh uh, yeah, but I don't. I mean, well, because that one already ruined me, so I already I'm prepared. <laughs> like that book can't mess me up anymore. Okay, well, so would you recommend this book? Yes, I think it's very good. I would recommend it for a child maybe 12, maybe like Stacy's age. Yeah. I think that would be a good age. I wouldn't give it to a nine-year-old. I just feel like even a per- precocious nine-year-old, I just feel like it's it's really intense. Like the violence, and it's not your average every day, oh, someone gets shot. Like they set a man on fire. They tar on a child is pulled into a street by a grown adult. Yeah. It's just... I. I was kind of impacted by it. So I would give it to like a middle schooler. Yeah. I I think a younger kid could, could read it. I think it would just depend on the kid. Yeah. Well, and like if a family member read it with them. 
So I don't, I don't know why I'm so sensitive lately. I'm just a general Well, baby. I mean, we're reading this in a very different climate than we that probably too, read yeah. it the first time. Like, yeah. I remember, like, reading this and thinking about the nightmare. And I think someone told me something, like, I can't remember who I talked to. Some adult in my life, like a family member. And they were like, well, the clan isn't really around anymore like this. And, like, you couldn't say that to a kid today today you know what i mean which is like a frightening thing to think but we are reading this now in a very different climate than we probably read it in like the early to mid 90s yeah so well early to mid late night i'm not that old we're not that old oh but i read it well well, i read it earlier okay there we go i read so i was oh maybe i was in like it was probably 98 99 okay yeah, because you said you read you were like seven and you completely blanked on it, which I love. I love that story. Yeah, so. it's like it, it, things came back to me when we were talking about it. I was like, oh, yeah, especially especially her pasting over the the tables in the book. Mm-hmm. I also think what we kind of hinted at is like you probably read some of the other books and didn't read this one. But so I you know the characters. Maybe, but I, I remember her pacing over that book and I remember the nightmare part. Oh, okay. So I I don't know. I'm gonna have to ask my mom to clarify <laughs> what she meant. I'm just picturing a tiny little Molly like I ain't reading this. But shit. it's like <laughs> I remember having the book and like looking picking it up and I was in I had to have been in the first or second grade because I remember that classroom wow. library. I'm picking it up because she had on overalls and I had a pair of overalls that I completely fucking love. Like I love these overalls so much and they had like a little plastic heart on the uh-huh. front. But like for some reason I jumped into like a lake with these on. Wow. Like on a field trip. Oh my God. <laughs> and lake water got in the plastic heart and washed out all like the, it had like the goo kind of glitter goo oh, in it. I can I can picture it's like a soft plastic yes. and it's got like the glitter in yes. it. Yes. And it washed all that out and it was ruined and I was so upset because I love those overalls. So it's like that's how I remember when I read it because I picked it up because it had a little black girl on it wearing overalls. In overalls. And my favorite wow. overalls were ruined. You had a whole journey. I was just given it in like a classroom I read it once. It was like, I, this is great. I'm kind of loving your whole nostalgic flashback. Yeah. Cause I also remember being a little black girl who loved overalls. I don't know what it was about the nineties and overalls. I guess that was their moment. It's wonderful. Yeah. But, uh, so we did Montessori. So it was like very much like you go in and like during the day you said, I'm going to do this, 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 and that. So instead of like in elementary school, we weren't so much assigned books, but it was like, you could go to the library at the classroom library and say, I'm going to read this book. And then your teacher would have like a curriculum around it. And then you and ah. her would sit down and talk about it. That's nice. You gotta be really self-motivated, I guess, to do monastery. monastery <laughs> you gotta know, you gotta know yourself at a young age. <laughs> so I, I would recommend this. We already did this. I do would recommend this book. I'm glad I reread it. I know I've been kind of loopy in this episode, but I enjoyed reading it. Yeah. Even though I, it traumatized me. Even though it, it's it's a hard read. Like, even it as an is. adult. Um, it is. It's so, like... And I think it's part of the... Re- like, there's some, we've already had this conversation, so I won't bring it up again. But there's, like, something lately that I just, like, can't handle slave narratives right now. That's why uh, I still not have not read Underground Railroad. It's on my shelf. I have the book. 
I still haven't read Underground Railroad. Yeah. Or Book of Night Women. Yeah. And I want to read Book of Night Women. No, I and feel it's just you. Like, I'm like sensitive right now. And it's like, I can't. And this isn't a slave narrative, but it's in that vein. Yeah. Like, it's like sometimes it's like hard right now to read stories about black people. Suffering. Suffering at the hands yeah. of white people. I'm sure I don't need to tell anybody why. Like, yes. someone might feel that way. Yeah. And at the same time, I also am not that crowd. I was thinking of like she will not be named my nemesis. Like I don't think these are. I think these stories do still have to be told. Yeah. Because I think the worst thing you can do is like whitewash it or, yeah, or forget sugarcoat them. it or forget it. Yeah. I just have to be like in the like. I have to be ready to read it. Yeah. I have tried to read. Um. So Dr. Ibrahim had a new book come out. Okay. How to be not racist. You've probably seen it all over Twitter. I'm messing up his last name. It's like Ibrahim X. He did Stamp from the Beginning. Oh, okay. Ibram X. Kendi. Okay. And he did Stamp from the Beginning. He has a new book out called How to Be an Anti-Racist. But I've been wanting to read Stamp from the Beginning from the longest because the audiobook is free on, on Hoopla. And I was like, there's no reason why I shouldn't listen to this. I know it's going to be good. I know it's going to be great. I start the first chapter and every time I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> I cannot it is the history of racism it's gonna be i can't do it it's the history of racism it's not gonna be a walk in the park it's not i can't do it like that first chapter begins with like this like he starts with like horrible quotes from me and like i can't yeah i just cannot do it so i'll get there one day i just gotta be in the mood i think this one just sort of caught me yeah and it and then it like it lured me in and then it caught me and i wasn't ready yeah yeah (laughs) i took a punch to the so so yeah that's an episode yeah Oh, man, we haven't even picked our next chat. No, we haven't. <laughs> Are you running into any interesting trends in your search for books for baby? Oh, that'll be. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Let's talk about trends. Oh, let's talk about that study that came out that was like, um, I think it was We Need Diverse Books. Uh-huh. I saw it from them, and it was like the like number of books written by uh, where the protagonist or main character was white versus like every other ethnicity and it was something like it was like white then an animal then black kids (laughs) then latino kids and then like wait and it's like a picture of a mirror i'll find it and we'll talk about it but i think that'll be a good one like let's talk about um the experience of because you'll you have you buy books for your uh nieces and nephews so let's Mm -hmm. talk about the experience of buying books for black children yeah, and it sort of continues our kid lit theme. It does. So I love buying kids books and I do make an effort like if I'm going to buy them, at least one of them has to have some black people in it. Yeah. Because I want them to have a library where they can like see themselves. Yeah. So it's like my husband is uh, Mexican and Native American. Uh-huh. And it's like, girl. Oh, I imagine. It's a struggle. And I'm sure what is out there, I remember there were a lot of Native American books we had in our school library. And then thinking back, and I'm like, they're all written by white people. All written by white people. And so it's all about people who are dead. So it's like, yeah. Or it's just made up. Or it's just like fucking made, made up. up. So yeah. we actually went to, I'll talk about this more next time, but we went to use bookstore over Labor Day and I might have lost my mind, but. Oh, no. <laughs> So yeah, we, that'll be good. Yeah, we did. We definitely had like a discussion about that. Um, yeah. So, so, okay. So the experience of buying children's books for black kids. Yes. Um, so Danielle, what are you reading? Ooh, I have a lot. So, okay. 
I was kind of in a slump throughout most, that's why this episode is so late, <laughs> throughout most of July uh-huh. and August. Uh-huh. I've sort of started picking back up. I am waiting. I'm giving Goodreads a chance to load so I could see it. Thank you. Um, I finished The Warmth of Other Suns. Okay. And I loved it. I think I, I think I was still reading it in the last episode. I don't think I had finished it before we finished our last episode. If I had did, if I'm double counting it, apologies. <laughs> I loved it. It's really good. It's a thick book. I did the audio, oh. which I highly recommend. Okay. Yeah. I used one of those audible credits. Finally, you know how stingy I am with them. Um, it was really good. Highly recommend. I read a really, I'm not going to hate on it. I read a not great book about Chernobyl, but it was written by a guy who's not a professional writer. Oh. He did it as a passion project. And he sort of put it together and he kind of like got someone to edit it for him. And then he vanity published. It was okay. His problem was it's called Chernobyl um, 012340 by Andrew Leatherbarrel. His problem was he tried to weave the story of what happened at Chernobyl with his trip to Chernobyl. Oh. And he needed someone to help him shape that story because he got bogged down on details. You as the reader just did not care about oh, I like see. his packing list, how he got there. No one cares. Um, I read Brazen and the Beast by Sarah McLean, which is a romance. I didn't love it. I I feel kind of bad because she's a really, I really like Sarah McLean and she's a big force in romance. I just could not with this book, but I will try another series because I think there was a group of criminals. I don't want to, I don't want to be mean. There's just a group of criminals and they all go by names. I just cannot see criminals going by with a straight face. (laughs) Like... They call themselves the bare knuckle bastards. One guy goes by the name devil. The other guy goes by the name beast. And I'm like, come on guys. Yeah. Like you're, you're it's a little you're on the nose. <laughs> a little, yes. And so that kept taking me out. So um, my most recent read, I think you'd be more interested to hear. I read the poppy war. Oh, okay. Because it's free on hoopla. And I also realized I must've bought it. It must've been on sale. Cause I owned it and I've, Running, I'm running into that a lot lately. Like I've bought books when they're like two bucks and then forget I own them. It was really good. It's a fantasy that's very much inspired by like the second um, Sino-Japanese war. Mm-hmm. So it's very, it's based in, it's not China. They don't call it China, but it is like very much inspired by China. There's another group of people called the Hesperians who are very much like supposed to be the West. There's an island nation called Mugen that's supposed to be Japan. And so there's this, girl who's sort of raised and she goes to attend this militaristic school and she participates in the third poppy war Mm. and it's really interesting because she it brings the fantastical element is that there are people who are shamans who can like tap into the power of the gods to do that though they gotta get high like (laughs) they gotta like everyone is doing opium or heroin in this book and it's 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 a thing so it was really good i liked it um, I gave it five stars. And so I am now reading the sequel, which came out last month. And I'm listening to that on Audible. Oh, okay. It's called The Dragon Republic. Those are both by R.F. Quang. Mm, okay, interesting. So I'm trying, after our episode on um, Children of Blood and, B- Blood and Bone and what you said, I'm trying to get better at, like, judging fantasy. Like, I feel like I know what makes a good romance. And so I've shaped... Maybe not what makes a good romance, but I know what I like in romance and how to rake it and like if I can recommend it to people. So I'm trying to sharpen that skill in the poppy in like fantasy. Okay. So, but I, I like the poppy war. I like read some like, do you know when you read a book and then you go and read like bad reviews of it? Yeah. 
So I did that, and then I was like, I don't know, did I like it? So I like can't trust my own opinion. Oh, I usually feel so smug. I'm like, do you? Okay, whatever, girl. Sure. <laughs> oh, I was like, I was like, well, that's a valid point. Maybe it's bad. Like, I don't trust my own taste in fantasy yet. Uh... I'm like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it wasn't good. So I've got to keep reading. I still like it. But it did shake me. I read some negative reviews and it shake, shook me a bit. And I was like, oh, maybe it's not good. Okay, interesting. But I liked it. I think you like good long reads. Yeah. So I don't know if you're ever interested. I, the first book yeah, I keep, is 18 hours. Okay. I keep seeing it, but I haven't. I just haven't picked it up. Yeah. And if you want to save that credit, again, it's free on <laughs> Like, it's on Hoopla. Like, keep your Audible credit. Um, I did buy it because I'm telling myself this is the year Oh, I, read I was thinking about rereading that because I saw yeah, the it's movie. Oh, 40 hours long. A few things about it. Okay. One of the characters has, does a whole bunch of super racist voices. Oh, the recording? It's like in the book. So the guy reads it because oh. it's in the book. Okay. Um. Well, I feel like King was on all of the cocaine when he wrote this. Second thing. I've been trying to go back and figure out which books he was on. Um, I think he talks about it. I I've heard about the up. ending. Yeah, the ending. So the second thing. Well, first of all, <laughs> uh, he, he, I think he's pretty open with which books he was on cocaine. And then my second thing was the ending <laughs> is rough. Rough. I, I've heard about so it. So you told yeah. me to listen, start listening to We Hate Movies. And they oh did I <laughs> and so now I love it but they have a term that sticks yeah. in my head for King's writing and it's clickety clack cocaine. <laughs> so whenever anything like way off happens, that's what I say like to myself. I'm like it's that clickety clack cocaine. Like when he was writing it, it is they have a whole scene like he's writing his typewriter and like doing coke and all this stuff. Oh, for the for the for the episode they did on it, not it. It was oh okay. Ooh, maybe maximum overdrive or something. <laughs> okay, I gotta go back and listen. Well, because when you presented that, I know I, t- I thought you were talking about a specific episode. And I was like, I told you to listen to a... Sp- no, so you meant... Yeah, I did turn you on to that podcast. Yes. And then, okay, yes. got it. I, I'm, I'm caught up Yes, now. so they've done a couple... Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was maximum overdrive where they introduced this concept. And then I think I've listened to a few others, adaptations of his, and they keep saying clickety-clack cocaine. Clickety-clack so cocaine, yes. I would say... Oh my goodness, we could do a whole episode on it because I feel like it's very interesting and I feel like it has this really interesting story about this racist incident, which hasn't made it into either adaptation. But Ooh, really? I like that it's literally the only book I've read where I felt scared. Like it's literally See, the that's only what book. I've yeah, heard. which is so weird. And I want that. It's like <laughs> I want to get scared. <laughs> I was listening to it and I was like sitting on the couch and like my cat came up behind me and I like jumped and I had to turn it off because I was like, <laughs> this is freaking me out way too much. That's literally the only book I've ever read where I'm like, fuck, it's dark. It is so okay. much darker than the movies. So if you read it, I'll be was, interested to hear. Was that your sad, like, remember you set up the bath and then you no, played Audible and then that was skipped? fucking, that was fucking, um, misery. Okay. Because I was like, which is a really good, I really, really like the I book. I like that book. And it was like ramping up and I was like, holy fuck. So I like, I was like, oh, I'm going to like, uh, I had like one of those lush, like Halloween bath bombs. And I was like, I'm going to listen to the last one. I'm going to like, I love listening to audiobooks in the bath. Like, I don't know. It's my favorite thing. 
And then uh, it skipped the the chapter, and I was like, oh, that the ending of that was really anticlimactic. But if you've <laughs> read it, learned. you know it's super not. So yeah, yeah. Okay, I knew it was a Stephen King book. I just mixed them up. Okay, yeah. Huh? Okay, yeah. No, I'm glad you said that because that's what I hear. People are like, I want to get. Like, I guess I'm out of my funk now that the true crime cause and I'm ready to be scared again, which will in turn just scare me and then I'll be back. It's a cycle. Yeah. We've been over this. I don't know why I keep doing it to myself. So I'm looking for something to scare me. And I've heard people say like, that's the book. That's the book that it, you said The Shining just made you sad. No, Pet Cemetery just made me sad. Pet I read Cemetery a whole bunch of, I never read Stephen King and I read like eight of his books last year. <laughs> So yeah, because they just redid Pet Cemetery, and I was like, well, I want to see the, I should read it first. And then I heard the it, new one wasn't that good, uh, so now I'm not in that big hurry. It just made me sad. <laughs> like, if you really want to be freaked out for Halloween, I might reread it, because I was like, oh, it just, I saw the movie too, and I had thoughts on it, and so my husband was kind of like asking me how I compared to the book, and I really want him to read it, because he loves horror. Um, but yeah, I, I want someone else's opinion, but those would be the warnings I, I would give you. It's very okay. intense. It's very, very, very dark. One of the characters, for some reason, keeps using, like, these fake racist voices, like, to make jokes. <laughs> I think it's Rich. Yeah. And then uh, the ending is... I know you've heard about the ending. I've heard about I the know ending. you know what the ending is. <laughs> it still comes out of fucking nowhere. You're like, the fuck is this? What happened? And for that, I say that clickety-clack cocaine. <laughs> and maybe that's what will help me through it is just remembering you say that clickly clack because <laughs> now i'm not gonna have them saying it it's you retelling right. them saying right. it. it's gonna stick in my head okay so what have you been reading Molly? okay so i started reading pim by matt johnson um oh i'm not familiar with that one. it's about this black professor who teaches he's like supposed to teach african-american literature but he's like no i just want to teach literature like american literature and he gets fired and he's like super super obsessed with um uh edgar Allan poe's novel about like um you might have heard of it it's like he wrote this novel about these sailors who go out and they eat a cabin boy and then, like, two years after it's published or something, these sailors go out and they eat a cab of boy. And, like, everyone had the same name. And everyone's like, what the fuck was that about? I've never heard this before. <laughs> and now I'm going to look it up. So the interesting thing about that book is where they're sailing to, it's supposed to be, like, this mystical land of, like, pure black people. Like, like the color black, like, purely black people. And it's supposed to be, like, you know, real racist and all this stuff. So this guy gets obsessed with this book, and he goes out to find this island. And what he finds there is not quite that. Um, but the whole time I was listening to it, and I think also because I was reading Roll of Thunder, Hear My Cry, I was like, I need something because I was kind of like, I want something to kind of balance that out. And I wanted something like really satirical and really unflinching and really like modern. And I was like looking at that because I knew it was like this wild premise and I had heard good things about it. But the whole time I was listening to it, I kept thinking about the sellout. <laughs> well, as you set it up, I'm like, that sounds like the sellout. Right? So I actually went back and re-listened to all of the sellout. I love that audio. We've already said that on this episode. 
I feel like we could just go on. We could on. just I go. If we ever books. do like a bonus episode that's not written by a female author, it has to be the sellout because that book. I'm... And that's another one I cannot get anyone else to read. And it's so, I, I mean, it's like if, you know, it's got to be the right person. And I was yeah. thinking the other day, if someone came up like at work or something and asked me, oh, Molly, what are you listening to? And I said, oh, the sellout. Like, cool. What is that about? I'd be like, because the second uh, you try to explain it, <laughs> yeah, it, it would get rough. Yeah. So I would like to, if we do a bonus, do it on that. Um, but I re-listened yes. to that; it's still held up. Like, it still was like breaking my heart in the same places, but also like just making me die of laughter in other places. And the audio book so much. Audiobook, I think, is one of the best audiobooks I ever heard. Yes, that's the one that kind of like sort of turned my opinion. Because, like, I think if you remember before, I wasn't really into audiobooks at yeah. first. I was like, well, I still like the book. I still like the book. That was the one, like, it's like, it depends who narrates it and how, like, you got to have a good narrator. You, ha- you, you had it to have make- the right voice for this book. Yeah. Well, in, like, any book. Like, oh, if you have true. a book. Yeah. A book with a good narrator, that's what makes it. Yeah. That's why I couldn't finish the the cooking gene, but I was able to read, like, a brief history of seven killings in, like, a week. Ah. Uh... Because the narrators are just so good. And then after I finished that, I started... So I started reading uh, Circe by Madeline Miller. I, re- I read uh, the Song of Achilles and I liked it. Oh, yeah. What do you think? I'm really liking it. So I'm listening to the audiobook. It's very interesting. And it's like, I don't know if you went through a period of Greek myths when you were in school. But um, that was another... Yes. Yeah, that was another Montessori thing. That same library, I don't know, that little school library had such an effect on me. And I remember it had, like, this little, like, book of Greek myths. And I got it, and I was so fucking into it. And my teacher, like, wrote this little, like, lesson plan for me. I was like, this is awesome. So it was, like, cool, like, seeing them dramatized in such a way. I That's cool. will say, like I said, I'm doing the audiobook, and the author has... It's a little, it's like a tiny pet peeve of mine. This is a tiny pet peeve of mine. (laughs) But I feel like a lot of times when there's a uh, setting outside of America for a book, Uh the audiobook defaults to an English accent. Yes. And I'm like, I I don't know why. (laughs) I think they really missed an opportunity to have a Greek uh, actress read this. And I feel like so, this is going to be like so nerdy for saying this, but I'm like, I played that, uh, uh, there's a f- big video game that came out this year, um, Assassin's Creed, that was set in um, ancient Greece, and all the people in it have Greek accents, and it was like not an accent that I was like familiar to, and that game's like 100 hours long, so it's like 100 hours of like listening to this person like speaking of like this thick greek accent it's like like all these greek swear words and it was just awesome so like when i'm reading it and the, the interesting thing was she pronounces like all the names like with a greek accent so it's like there are hard greek i can't even like get close to saying it but um i think it would have been interesting to have that experience with this audiobook huh i think i own that one because i think it was on sale at one point and i bought it or maybe i have the book so I've been thinking, and I did like Song of Achilles, and a man narrates that okay. one. Okay. And it's also, but like, it seems something like, yeah, it was a, it was a British man. Yeah. <laughs> the man with the British accent. So, I don't know, like, maybe someone else would have a different opinion, or maybe, like, people hated that accent in the game, or maybe it wasn't authentic, and I'm wishing for, like, this experience that just shows that, you know, 
I'm the, what did they say? They kept saying Malaka. <laughs> Is that from the book? Because I haven't read it It was yet. from the game. It was like the swear oh, okay. word they said like every 15 minutes. Um, but uh, I, I just thought it was kind of a missed opportunity. Like it would have been cool to have like a Greek person narrating the book. It adds something to it. That's why, um, like, I like it when they get. That's why I was disappointed in um, uh, when I did. Ah, this is the second time I forgot the name of this book in this episode. Uh, the, the Children of Blood and Bone. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm like, why didn't you get a real West African narrator to narrate it instead of this woman doing this? Like, she sounds like Miss Cleo, and I know she's trying, but yeah. I'm like, this is just—it just sounds really bad. Yeah. Like you, like that's what they did for uh, my sister, the serial killer, right? Like, yeah. That was a, that was a. African narrator reading that book. I, I I can't say I don't know for sure, but I would guess it definitely sounded more authentic yeah. than Children of Blood and Bone. Did. Yeah, she won an award for that. Which you know, for her. here's the sad news I just read that ties into what we're talking about. The guy, the This Is Audible guy, passed away. Oh, he did. He just, I went to the page to look at my library and they have it. They said, remembering an Audible legend, we are devastated to learn that Rick Lewis, one of Audible's very first employees and the voice behind the iconic phrases, this is Audible and Audible hopes you've enjoyed this program, passed away unexpectedly in his home in the Andes of Northern Ecuador. Oh, I fucking love that guy. I know. I was like, sometimes when I'm not listening to Audible audiobooks, I still say that to myself. Right? I say Audible hopes you've enjoyed this program. Do you remember like when you were a kid and um, like that sound thing before a movie would come on and it was like boom. Oh, like the uh, the 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 uh, the like the Dolby thing. Yes. Yeah. And like you would be like hype. It's like all right, I'm gonna watch yes. this. Movie. This is how I felt about the. This is Audible. I'd be like it's Audible. Yes. yes. I'm gonna start a new Audible book. So yeah, he passed away. So rest in peace, Rick. Yeah, rest in peace. Ah. Yeah, sorry to bring us down, but like I went and it's literally, and it's like right there, and they got his photo, and I was like, aw. So, well, Audible hopes you've enjoyed this program. Uh, Speaking I of, did, you if know you what, wanted... Rick, I did enjoy that program. All right, so I think that's an episode. We've got our next chat topic. We said what we're reading. Mm-hmm. If you have any thoughts about buying books for children, black children, diverse children, feel free to tweet us or email us. Or contact, we're on Twitter at Black Chick Lit. We're on Instagram at BCL Podcast. And you can email us at contact at blackchicklit.com. Yeah, and if you have any questions or comments, you can send them over to contact at blackchicklit.com. Um, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. Still don't know what's happening with Spotify. They're on my list. Um, that helps others find the podcast. I learned I'm not the only one having Spotify oh, issues really? today, which All was right. like, huh, that's good to know. So we're working on it. it. And then finally, as always, thanks to Sweet 45 for the use of our theme song. Jones in, you can find them on SoundCloud at HTTP. What is that? That's a forward slash. It goes forward. HTTPS (laughs) colon forward slash forward slash SoundCloud.com forward slash Sweet S-U-I-T-E 45. That was a thorough reading. Good job, Ollie. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, guys. And we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.